0: This week's episode, Katie Singer and Jenny Stone discuss the obligation for GPs to declare their earnings over £156,000. They're going to be covering how you go about declaring, but also the implications of publishing or not publishing those earnings. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Hello,
1: and welcome to this week's episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Katie Singer, one of the partners here at RBP, and today I'm joined by Jenny Stone, one of my fellow partners. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I hope you're ready to get stuck into our most controversial subject yet. Today, we're going to be talking about a really hot topic the declaration of earnings. It is something that has been spoken about for a couple of years, pushed down the line. But as at the time of recording, we still believe that you are going to have to declare your earnings. So by 30th of April. So this podcast today is going to cover what it is, why you've got to do it. And at the end, we're going to be giving some opinions the BMA's opinion and our own opinion. So just a disclaimer that everything we say today are genuinely some facts, but mainly opinions. So please do take that on board when you're listening. So Jen, why don't you run us through sort of when it all started?
2: Yeah, Katie, I think what I want to do is actually go back to 2014. So this whole wanting GPs to publish their earnings with their name actually goes far back as 2014. So we were involved with the BMA when they brought in this whole We want GPs to publish their earnings. Every practice listening will know that you publish a figure on your website, which is the mean average. But back in 2014, they wanted the first year to be the mean average and the second year to be named earnings. So we were involved then because obviously we deal with a lot of GPs. We know what a lot of the earnings were. There were lots and lots of discussions. And I always remember the discussions because one of the people involved was always saying, you can't compare GP's earnings to, say, a hospital consultant that does 37 and a half hour a week. You know, how many hours do GP's work? You know, it's endless. So when all of that happened, in the end, mean average earnings got published on the website and that has continued. And we all know that that mean average is based on headcount. And actually, Jen, you say headcount, but also...
1: On that mean earnings, some of the NHS income is actually excluded. Locally commissioned, for example, is, is excluded. That notional rent this, is excluded. Exactly. Yeah, notional rents excluded. Locally commissioned services are excluded, which is a massive difference to the current one, because that completely skews the figure and makes it, well, considerably lower. So, of course, many of you who are listening, you'll know the declaration figure is on your website is generally a much lower figure than potentially you're used to seeing in your accounts. And that's because you're excluding certain elements. But
2: this declaration is slightly different. Yeah. And I was going to say, Katie, part of the 2019 contract negotiations, there was the requirement that GPs would need to publish their earnings again with their name. And this was first supposed to be done back in November 21. And any GP that had pensionable pay over 150,000 was supposed to declare their earnings. I think, Katie, you're on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And that November, those few weeks were absolutely crazy with us having lots of discussions with clients about this whole publication. And then I think it was about three o'clock on the 12th of November that there was BMA email or something that basically said, your contracts haven't been updated. You don't need to do this. And then it all got put on hold. And I think we were all hoping that that was going to be the end of it, but it's not. And it's now back. And there's now this requirement again to publish earnings. And one thing I would say actually off the back of what you just mentioned, yes, I was on maternity
1: leave, but I remember distinctly, I think I had something like a 11 day old baby on the day that they decided to scrap it or, or defer it. I think they actually did say defer as opposed to scrap. And I remember WhatsApping and texting and emailing loads of clients and they went, oh, aren't you on maternity leave? I was like, yes, but this is really important. I think one thing to take away is if you do self-declare after listening to this, do it on the last day because if they are going to defer it, they're going to defer it on the last day. So I did actually have a number of clients who did do the self-declaration in a timely fashion. And of course, once they had deferred it, they were a little bit disgruntled. You told me I needed to do this and I did it and now it's been deferred and I didn't need to declare that number. Now, as far as we're aware, that information has never been passed on. It's never gone anywhere. Katie
2: it does say in the guidance that that information that anybody that did do it for 1920 that information has been apparently destroyed that's actually what it actually says in the guidance Good. but I agree with you I've been saying to all my clients that I've been speaking to now just do this declaration on the last day I was going to say we haven't said the deadline for doing your declaration and it is your 2122 earnings is the 30th of April and it's if your earnings are over 156 thousand
1: Yeah. So we should probably discuss who actually needs to do this because you might be listening, thinking, oh, well, I'm not in the pension scheme, so I don't need to. But actually, that's not what the guidance says, is it, Jen?
2: No, that's right, Katie. It applies to current GP contractors. So that will be anybody that's that's on a GP contract. So if you retired, let's say you retired on the 31st of December 2022. So although you would have had earnings for 21-22, our understanding is you're not a current GP contractor and therefore you wouldn't be required to do this. But as Katie says, I've had lots of questions from people who say, but Jenny, I'm not in the pension scheme. Do I need to do this? Yes, you do. So if you are a GP partner, then you are required to declare your earnings if your pensionable pay is over 156000 for the year 21-22. Katie, I just want to add, sometimes we're getting asked, you know, does it apply to salary GPs? Does it apply to locums? What the guidance actually says is it's saying that GP practices are required to update employment contracts, subcontracts to pass on the obligation for any GP working for them that if their overall earnings are over 156, they're required to declare. Now, what it says is, that GP practices will have to update contracts to pass on the obligation, but obviously they don't have to check it. They're not obliged to monitor, have individuals complied. So when we read the guidelines, our understanding of this, that this would apply to salary GPs, it would apply to locums because they are employed by somebody who holds a GP contract, they would be required to do this. And I think Jenny and
1: I, obviously being accountants, we don't have any authority in HR or legal advice, but one way potentially of getting around this, or I say getting around, but just making sure you comply with the contract is to just insert a sentence into all your employment and locum contracts to say you are required as individuals to declare under the pay transparency guidance, if you were to exceed the limit, et cetera. Just a single sentence, especially with the BMA standard contracts, there may even already be a line inserted. So just check it. And if not, maybe a variation to all of your employee contracts, salary GP and and locum contracts might be a good idea, You know, would be a simple solution. And like Jenny just said, the obligation is not for you to ensure they do it. It's just for you to pass on the declaration to them as individuals.
2: Katie, should we just talk about What the earnings are that have to be declared? What Mm -hmm. is so? It is pensionable pay. So anybody that's in the pension scheme, you will know the GP partners. You do a pension certificate, and then there is a line that calculates your pensionable pay. So it is if your pensionable pay is over one hundred fifty-six thousand, then you need to make that declaration. So one of the things that Katie and I talk about is, as Katie mentioned, when we do the mean average that goes on your website, we take out things like notional rent. But actually, notional rent, so the rent that you receive for owning your building, is all pensionable. So that gets included in pensionable pay. So you could have a GP whose NHS practice income from being a GP partner is I don't know, 110,000, but they've got 50,000 of notional rent. That would mean their pensionable pay will be over the threshold and they would be required to make the declaration. Even though the notional rent is nothing to do with them as a working GP, it's the fact that they've invested and paid for a building. And that's a good point, actually, because now I'm thinking out loud, you
1: might have four partners in a practice, but only one of them owns the building. So all four partners may technically come under the threshold, except the one who owns the building. And so that individual is actually going to exceed the threshold and therefore only they need to declare. And obviously we'll speak later about the implications of not declaring and what potentially that would have on a practice where one does and three don't need to declare there, there could be some conversations that need to take place within a practice
2: if that is the case. And I think Katie, what's also very unfair is you could have a GP that does one day a week, and they're in a. I mean, I'm just pulling numbers out the air and making up sort of figures and, and scenarios. But you could have a GP who does one day a week, earning 150,000 for that one day, and then you could have a GP who's working six days a week. You know, by the time they need an extra day to catch up on all the paperwork and are earning 160,000. Well, your GP that is full time probably getting close to burnt out, has to declare their earnings. Mm. But the GP that's only doing one day a week and is only 150 doesn't. So when we're going to get this publication of earnings, there's nothing alongside it that says, actually, how many hours has this GP worked to earn this income? So it's literally just looking at what is your pensionable pay? Yeah. I mean, Jenny
1: and I will both know some of our higher earning GPs, you know, the ones who are over the 156 or a fair bit over that. If you speak to them, or when I speak to them, whatever day of the week they're at the surgery, whatever time of day they're at the surgery, especially you know many of you listening will know that partner recruitment has become harder, which means some of the larger practices where you might be used to seeing six, seven, eight partners now might only have two, three, four partners. So just by your individual profits or earnings may have gone up just because you don't have those fellow partners with you, but that means you're doing all the work on the days when normally you would have been off. So that's why, again, it is unfair. And there's something that we'll be covering later about the BMA stance, which really hits home about this point of of the amount of hours that you're working and why this declaration is so sort of negative in that respect.
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember, Katie, when we were looking at it back in November 21, I had a client say to me during COVID, she had a salary GP walkout, didn't want to carry on working, And this GP was picking up the pieces, working endless hours to keep, you know, looking after her patients. Mm. But it also meant that her profits bumped up in that particular year. But that was a one off year. You know, and it was just because somebody had walked out. She was working around the clock. She said to me at three in the morning, "I'm still doing paperwork. I'm still doing admin work." Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, the danger with this whole publication: is you're just going to have a name with your earnings figure. You know, there's no background to how many hours you work, what's happened, what's caused that. I mean, we're publishing 21, 22 earnings. You know, what about those practices that have done a lot of work with COVID vaccination? So their income in that particular year may be higher than normal because they've got COVID vaccine income. So there's going to be no explanation when the newspapers get hold of this information.
1: Yeah, I mean, we didn't say, but when you read about what needs to be declared, the actual information, it just has four lines, your name. So you need to put your full name, your job title. So that would be GP partner or salary GP, your NHS pensionable earnings, and then the organisation from where you were these. So we don't know for sure. that information allegedly is being passed to a national publication, i.e. it will be somewhere where anybody can get their hands on that information. If your name and your GP practice is listed, it's not going to be difficult for anybody to know exactly who you are and where you are. And I think that is one of the major issues with this declaration. If it was an anonymized GP, if it just said, for example, GP and then Brent and then a figure, okay, maybe we wouldn't be so concerned. Because I think, Jen, maybe correct me, but I'm pretty sure that the superannuation certificate data is actually published somewhere, i.e. what I mean by that is I'm sure that there is a website you can find. It is anonymized. Yeah, Yeah, because
2: I remember there was an article in one of the newspapers that had managed under the Freedom of Information Act to get the information about pensionable pay. But obviously it wasn't named. It was just there is a GP whose pensionable pay is X amount of money. So that obviously is but it's all anonymized. Mm -hmm. Whereas you say, Katie, you're going to put your name. And what I would say is what the guidance also says is it says, well, I'll read you. So it sort of says by basically doing the self-declaration, you are consenting to your information being in the public domain. So basically by doing it, you're saying, yeah, I'm okay to have my name and my earnings published in. We all know the newspaper that they'll end up being published in. Exactly. If it's not all of them, to be honest.
1: So why don't we quickly mention about the contract itself. So first things first is this is actually an amendment to the contract. And so in theory, all practices should have received a variation of contract. Now, I actually had a lengthy conversation with a lawyer about this recently, and they were saying that They believed that it was only a PMS contract that would actually need to physically sign it. Anyone under a GMS contract, when a variation happens, it's automatic, regardless of whether you've signed it or not. But the first thing to check is that you've actually received a variation to contract. If you haven't, in theory, when you receive the contract variation, you then have 14 days before the amendment actually kicks in. So if you haven't received your contract variation, in theory, I guess maybe you don't have to comply because you haven't received that variation.
2: Yeah. And that's what happens, Katie, back in November 21, when everybody was supposed to declare their 19 earnings. And then they suddenly realised that the actual contract variations hadn't actually been issued. So it wasn't part of their contract. So yes, agreed. Need to definitely check that that's happened. And then secondly, I guess is what happens if
1: you don't declare it? So again, very thankful to my loyal friend who had this conversation with me recently. But basically, if you do not declare it, the bottom line is you are in breach of your contract. And the implication there fundamentally is you could have your contract taken away from you. So that's the end point, I guess. But in reality, what would happen is if you are in breach of your contract, is you would receive a 28-day breach of contract notice. And then you would have 28 days to rectify your breach. Now there is a very sort of poignant bit on the BMA website. In fact, we will put the link to the BMA website in the show notes because I actually think it's really useful opinions, but they mention what you should do if you actually do receive a contract breach notice. I mean, they actually imply that you should contact them and they will almost potentially begin legal proceedings with you, if you like. So it's quite an extreme case. I think the key thing to take away is if you receive a breach of notice, how have they worked out or concluded that you haven't declared? Where have they managed to get the data from? And I think that's one of the bigger issues at stake because for them to send you a breach of contract means They may know your pensionable earnings are over 156000 And if they know, where have they taken that information from? So just to be aware, they are the final implications.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Katie, because I think the BMA's website says it's unclear how NHS England will actually police this. I might just sort of read from the BMA's website. It just says, we are not aware of a way that NHSE might verify the income of those who have declared or not declared, but we cannot be sure that this is not possible. So, yes, they would have to have information to know that you have breached your contract. And Katie, just going back to the point you made about that you could have four partners and one partner is supposed to do it and the other three don't need to do it. So I was at a practice, a similar situation with a practice when they were supposed to do this back in November 21. And I sort of had to explain to them and I said, but if that one partner who's supposed to do it doesn't do it, it's potentially you could lose the contract for the practice, i.e. for all of you. So. I know I've had practices where they're actually having partnership conversations about this because obviously if one is supposed to do it and doesn't do it, then it's it's a breach and it's a potential. The whole practice could lose the contract. Katie, I, I reel this story off to some of my clients when I'm talking to them. but I remember back in November 21, chatting to this client and she said to me that one of her friends, it was the client that was telling me, but not one of our actual clients said this, but she said one of her friends had said to her, well, if the worst thing that could happen to me by me not declaring my earnings is I lose my GP contract and I end up in jail, she said that would be a better option for her than actually currently (laughs) being a GP.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I had one, actually. I had a GP partner I spoke to recently and I said, are you going to be declaring? And she said, no way they can come and fight me for my contract. And I thought, you go, girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She made me laugh when she said that they can come and fight me for it. But I think that's the point, isn't it? It is going to be personal whether you declare or not. And there will be some people listening who will declare and be comfortable declaring, knowing, you know, full well that maybe declaring 156, 158, 165, wherever you fall, isn't actually an unreasonable figure for a GP to be earning. Fine. But again, there will be some of you listening today. And Jenny and I know that we have some clients at RBP and, you know, other practices around the country will know that there are some GPs that their number is considerably higher than that figure. And ultimately there are risks associated with that. I think probably now is a good time to mention that on the BMA website, as I mentioned, we'll put the link in the show notes, it explicitly states that their position is that this declaration provides no benefit to GPs or their patients. And what they mean by that is what is the point of the declaration taking place? Potentially, the only thing it's going to lead to is more hostility from patients. We already know the kind of press that GPs are getting on social media and in the news, despite the fact that you, GPs listening, single-handedly, I say single-handedly, there were some support for other entities, but you guys know how much of the vaccine effort you rolled out during COVID. And if it wasn't for GP practices running that service, it would never have been rolled out as quickly and efficiently as it was. So not only did you do that, I want to say, save the country basically, You're now getting all the abuse that you're never open. You're never available for face-to-face appointments. We've seen the papers, we've seen the headlines, and we all know that that is not true, that you're working harder than ever, especially in the post-COVID world, to deal with all of the stuff that you weren't able to do during COVID. So we know how hard you're working, and this is only going to drive patients to become more aggressive and for you yourselves to want to work less. Jen, you mentioned your client who said she'd rather be in jail than working in her practice. I mean, that's it
2: all. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it, Katie? I think GPs, they've always worked really hard, but I know that, you know, practices are massively struggling with demand. And what we've seen, Katie, here at RBP is, you know, partners are retiring or partners are stopping mm. being partners. And therefore, this is just going to you know, I think the BMA say, you know, this is just going to probably encourage GPs to sort of reduce the amount of NHS work that they do and maybe do more private work or, you know, something that doesn't have to be declared. So I don't see how any of this is going to be good for the profession, for patients, for everything really. And I think ultimately
1: the reason I have such an issue with it is the safety.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Katie.
1: Like I said earlier, some practices, some partners listening, some GPs listening might think, do you know what? I'm a qualified GP. I've worked hard. I work five days a week. My patients know I work five days a week because they know I'm always at the practice. I don't mind declaring that I'm in the bracket that says 156 to 160,000. I'm comfortable with that. But those GPs listening, and I don't feel comfortable disclosing numbers, but, you know, GPs listening who are considerably higher than that figure, maybe even double that figure, might not feel comfortable having their patients know that they're the kind of earnings they have got. And I think ultimately a patient could come to the practice Follow the doctor home. The doctor is at home with their families. Look, I don't want to speculate that things like that would happen, but they could. Yeah, and I Katie. think your safety is far more important than anything else. You put your patients first and make sure their health is there and their safety is there. But actually your safety is just as important.
2: No, I agree with you, Katie. I've had quite a few clients that have said to me they would be concerned about their safety if their name and their earnings were you know, published. And I yes. think that is ultimately, you know, anybody that's thinking about doing this has to think about that knock-on impact. I had a client that said to me, you know, she hates leaving her practice late at night, you know, 10 o'clock at night in the dark because of the area she works in. You know, I've had a practice that they went through a spell where basically every day they were coming in and they were having dog poo smeared on their front door, you know, and they had a rotor for cleaning that door. You know, these things haven't been heard of before, but you then put into that a GP's name with their earnings, you know, I think it's very concerning. And the safety issue, I feel, hasn't been spoken about that people need to think about doing this. Yes, you're required to do it for your contract, but you also need to think about the impact on your personal safety as well. Mm-hmm. And so that is on the
1: BMA website, along with the fact. And this is where the BMA guidance and where we believe the contract guidance differs is that on the BMA website it actually states that salary GPs and locums don't need to declare. Now I can only infer that the reason that is there is because those individuals are not actually named on the GP contract itself. So a salary doctor at you know practice A isn't written on the contract. Only the partners. So only the partners are at risk of losing their contract. Obviously, the salary GP could potentially lose their job if the contract was taken away and the practice, say, closed. I mean, that is so extreme. I cannot believe that this is going to happen, but I guess. But in theory, that individual almost bears no risk, in adverted commas, by not doing it. I mean, in a way, you could argue that potentially that's similar to GPs who aren't in the pension scheme because they don't have any information of where your pensionable earnings could be calculated. Now, the only way, and this is really clutching at straws, was that they would have to have a team at NHS England to work out what all GP practices are paid and then try and work out at those practices, how many partners and staff they have to see if they could try and calculate what kind of bottom line would be made. I don't think that's possible. I think that's too complicated and far too expensive. The manpower required for a job like that would not I just don't ever see that happening. So reading between the lines of the BMA website, they are sort of implying that they don't think individuals should declare it ultimately. And I would say, although we can't explicitly state it, there have been lots of you know medical accountants talking, saying if only all GPs could revolt and if nobody declared it, then what would they do? I mean, Jen, what would they do? Take away everyone's contract? I mean, take
2: away everyone's contract. Exactly. That's how I feel, Katie. I mean, let's face it. GPs are leaving. We're seeing so much. We're seeing people give back their contracts. They've got nobody else to give them to. So yeah, are they going to take away everybody's contract? We don't know. If you're clients of RBP, we will only be writing to you on this if you are over the 156000 and you are required to make the declaration. So you've all been sent your pension certificates. They are on the portal. So you can obviously log in to see what your pensionable earnings is. But we are going to be writing to those that are affected. But if you do obviously have any questions on this, then please do contact your normal partner that you deal with. Yeah. So we can give you the figures or guide you on how we can calculate them if you
1: don't have the calculation already done. So I think we'll end it there. Again, just want to stress, obviously, some of the things that Jenny and I have said today are personal opinions. We would never tell you to be in breach of your contract because, you know, that is not formal advice. But we just wanted to stress that your safety, the safety of GPs in the UK is the utmost importance for us over and above (laughs) everything else, which is why we wanted to get this podcast out because we just think it's such an important topic. But again, if you've heard anything today and you did want to discuss it with us, if you are genuinely concerned and you want to know your figures and what further implications might be, please do get in touch with either of us or your partner here or anyone at RBP. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to listen to more, please do like and subscribe and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye, Katie. Bye, Gem.
0: You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at rbpca The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to accountancy on prescription.